Welcome to the 32nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball, review the results of Patrick's NCAA tournament bracket picking experiment, and give a few updates on Patrick's website content. So let's jump right in with a look at the MLB season, which kicked off on April 1st. So with one week of action, it's time for us to start focusing and talking a little bit about baseball. We're going to start with a look at this week's storylines on a division-by-division basis, starting with the National League West. Yeah, I mean, this division all season long will be the Dodgers versus the Padres. I don't think there's really much other... uh, There's not really many other big storylines in the rest of the the NL West. I mean, yeah, you could say that maybe a few of these teams, the Giants maybe, could challenge for a wild card spot if they're very, very lucky. But in terms of the standings of these divi- of this division, uh, the Dodgers and the Padres just are too good on paper. Uh, the only thing that could stop them uh, are injuries, which is actually starting at least, at least a little bit. Uh, the Dodgers are still 6-2 and two today. Justin Turner had every single hit in the game except for uh, one hit, and actually drove in the only run of the game, and the Dodgers still won one to nothing because, again, five aces on the pitching staff. Uh, the Padres threw their first no-hitter in franchise history simultaneously on the same day. So, clearly, these teams can both pitch, uh, uh, but as I said, the injuries are the only thing that could stop them. Uh, Padres still sitting at 5-3, and three, still a half game above the Giants for second place. Uh Bellinger is on the IL right now with a calf strain, and Mookie Betts is pretty much day-to-day. They said he has back soreness. He didn't play the last game. They had an off day. He still didn't play again, so maybe an IL sin for him, but I would assume that since they didn't send him there already, he might not be going there, although the same thing happened to Bellinger. Uh, Tatis is on the IL with a, I think it was a partial dislocation of his shoulder, although they say he won't need surgery, although I don't know what that means for the long term, and frankly... Padres should probably play the long game considering they have him signed for 14 years and the Dodgers are better than they probably honestly ever will be uh, this season than they will be in the future probably. So just based off of how much money they'd have to spend to keep this good of a team together. So um, I say they should play the long game and if he needs surgery and he can come back later in the season, you might might as well let him go get it. Uh, But they, they might just say that they're contending too much, so who knows, but it, that's the only thing that could really derail either of these seasons is, is just injuries. Yeah, and we uh, we talked a little bit uh, when Tatis got hurt, you and I did offline, about him being a little hurt in spring training and having some injury uh, histories. So he does have a history with his shoulder especially, so they're too. They're going to be so. very cautious, cautious with him like we talked about, uh, not offline, but online in the podcast when we first talked about MLB. Um, this, this division is going to produce two playoff teams. Uh, we talked about one team maybe wanting to – to not be the first overall seed because they don't want to face the other team if they should slip to the wild card. So I think both teams you see playing it pretty cautious uh, with with really the top three, maybe the top three offensive stars in the division, if not all of baseball, all in the DL in the first week. But despite that, as you mentioned, the Dodgers are 6-2. The IL. The, the IL, sorry. I'm, a, I'm an old guy and I, old habits are hard to break. Uh, the injured list. As you mentioned, the Dodgers, are despite the injuries, are 6-2. and two. Um, they very easily could be 8-0. They played a very sloppy opening day game, a bunch of errors, things like that, let the Rockies score some runs. And then they lost an extra inning game two days ago. Um, Frankly, shouldn't have lost the shouldn't game. Shouldn't have lost that game. Also, extra innings is extra innings. Any team can win any game. There. Yeah, so, and yeah, especially right. this year with the fluke, they, with, yep. the, with the old uh, the rule they put in last year that I actually like, where the man starts on second base and like, forgot about it. I was like, how did Rios, didn't he strike out in the last inning? Anyway, um, Dodgers could very easily be 8-0. Their lineup really... 
misses um, misses the punch of Bellinger and Betts, though. When you look at the lineup the last two games without them, um, it, it's really hopefully those are short-term injuries for them. Yeah, speaking of that rule change, actually, I don't know. I don't know if this is official or not, but every single game, I mean, I see one, but I think every other game this season that has gone to extra innings, with the exclusion of maybe one game, has ended in ten innings, which I think is a good thing for baseball. While we do like the occasional nineteen inning marathon, I think anything in the range of twelve to sixteen game to sixteen innings is just a it, it's just a drag. It it. And injury-wise, we all know the science behind it. We're more advanced in this. That does not help people in the long run. It's not good. So, frankly, I, I like that rule. I could see why maybe a player wouldn't. Uh, I can see from a pitching perspective why it can be frustrating. Uh, I don't remember exactly how they're dealing with uh, giving pitchers runs for that, but if I was getting a run credited against me for somebody who literally magically appeared on second base, I wouldn't yeah. be too happy about it either. <laughs> well, so, and the other the other rule change while we're on it, um, and since it's the first week of the season, that, that's remaining from last year. The seven is the seven double inning doubleheaders, yeah. Which then, did happen once this week, too, and, and, so. And those were, those were, unlike the other rule change that got implemented last year that was going to happen before COVID that I think everybody likes, which is a relief pitcher, has to pitch to three batters in an inning or at least make it to the end of that inning. That one's obviously staying because that was part of the, you know, the permanent rules, but the experimental rules that they put in last year for COVID regarding extra innings and regarding the seven inning doubleheader games uh, look like they're sticking and looks like people like them. And another rule that maybe people thought should have stayed that didn't was the uh, universal DH and that you can't have a designated hitter in the national league, which is uh, interesting, but uh I don't. I, it's it's very hard to gauge the opinion of uh, you know some pitchers don't like to hit at all. Uh, Trevor Bauer is very vocal that he hates hitting. Um, some pitchers love to hit. Some pitchers maybe don't like it but are good at it. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have the strategic element of it. But on the other other hand, it's also odd to have a league where there are different rules for each side, and in the playoffs, it changes game to game in the World Series. It is very weird and unique, which I think is. Kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing. So I don't know about the Universal DH. You'd have to ask a bunch of players and figure it out. But uh, clearly they voted on not having it. So I guess it wasn't that wide of a not not that wide of a favorite thing. And clearly, I mean, there were some people who didn't like the guy on second base thing, and people it stayed. So that means it had enough support. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I some interesting rules that they've kept on this year. All right. Well, let's uh, let's continue back with our division by division look at the first week of baseball with. Uh, the National League Central, which has a surprising team at the top of the standings. Yeah, a team that's very surprising that they're at the top, but I, it, it, I would say it has a very, very, very small chance of staying. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are currently six and one. Uh, they have a run differential of plus thirty-two already in the season, even though we're only seven games into the season. And they lost their best starting pitcher. Uh, although the big part of that is they don't have the reason why they have the run differential is not because of their pitching. Their pitching is not. Uh, the Dodgers have less runs allowed. The Cardinals have the same amount and only a plus five. It is because they, on average, at least going into tonight, were averaging nine and a half runs per game. Uh, the Dodgers looked like they came out on fire offensively, and they were two runs per game behind first place in the league, them being the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Although, I will be honest, I think the Cardinals starting out 5-2, and two, I think they played a harder schedule. Uh, I think they actually did play Cincinnati themselves, uh, and I don't think that Cincinnati will stay on fire for the entire season. 
Uh, and frankly, St. Louis is one game, uh, uh, a, a one different result in the series against the Reds away from being the team that's 6-1 and one and in first place. So is how baseball goes. Uh, and I think this will even out over the season. It's an 162-game season. Seven games of scoring 10 runs in a row is not going to win you the division. It's not going to get you into the playoffs. Uh, it, it, all the, on the other hand, though, I did see an interesting stat that actually is kind of worrying. Um, that the the league average for league batting average for pitchers is higher than the Cubs batting average yes. heading into yesterday, yes. which is shocking. And yet somehow they were still three and three, which just goes to show you it, it'll find a way of getting back to the averages. And I think the Reds will eventually go down towards where the Brewers are sitting now in fourth place of the division at three and four. Yeah, and uh, actually the, the Cubs won today, so they are now four and three. So despite yep. that. Pathetic batting average. Yes, but with that stat, though. I don't yes, know how yes, they hit they today because they could have hit 1,000 today and yes, changed that. <laughs> they probably did if they won another game. All right, let's uh, cap off our look at uh, the, the National League with the National League East. Yep, the Phillies actually came out on fire like the Reds, kind of surprisingly. 5-2. Um, and two. Overall, better record than the Dodgers, which are same record at least uh, heading into today, and then now the uh, Dodgers are ahead of the Phillies. But... Overall, Philly had, I think they were undefeated the longest in the league um, and with a 4-0 start to the season. And they also, the thing that was the most impressive to me, was that they swept the Braves, who were the divisional favorites, and they also took two out of three from the Mets, who were the divisional second places, uh, or the divisional, uh, the consensus divisional second place team. Uh, all I gotta say is, look, my power rankings had them 17th, 18th probably to start the season. They moved up a little bit because they had only played two games against the Braves and Again, how baseball goes, you beat a team 3-2, you beat a team 4 nothing does not mean that you're way better than them. So I didn't move the Braves down and didn't move the Phillies up too much. But at this point, after that showing, beating the Mets, winning the series against the Mets, and beating the Phillies, and, and beating the, in the, the Braves in a sweep, and I, I think they really could be trending in the right direction. Although they were about to prove me wrong today because they already lost 8-1 to to open another series against the Braves. And again... This is how baseball goes. It goes up and down. It's crazy. 162-game uh, season. The thing that's going to come out of it is the long-term consistency, which is why you probably won't see, even if a team went 7-0, and them going up in my power rankings too much because we all know what the rosters look like on paper and what the consistency will be. Although the Phillies are in a place in the standings where I think there's a lot of upwards and downwards movement that can happen in that 10-20 to 20 range. I think the top three are very set. I think four through eight are pretty much set. Uh, maybe some different arrangements of the teams. But other than that, it's pretty much wide open. So Philly can be moving up pretty quickly. Uh, they probably will, but we'll have to wait until tomorrow. Uh, their their next game against the Braves is going to be a really important one too. Yeah, and then the other thing that's going on in that division is Washington had COVID issues that uh, caused a bunch of postponements for the for the Nationals in the Mets. Very hard to uh, judge them yeah, so they far. They but... played four games. Everybody else has played seven. So, and, okay, you know, the Mets season. took one game off of the Phillies in that series, and I was honestly surprised that they did. But then the Nationals, on the other hand, are one and three after losing a bunch of games to the Braves so and one game to the Dodgers. So that's... Uh, well, it's a long it, season. It swings back both ways. A long ways, season, yeah. like you said. We'll see how it evens out. Let's move over uh, to the American League. And let's start with the American League West. Uh, yeah, the the... <laughs> I'm very surprised. Um, I did not expect to see the A's at the bottom of this division any time this year. Uh, I think Texas was actually the lowest team in my power rankings after seeing them play twice and get absolutely killed by the Royals, uh, which is not a good 
mark to set for the rest of the season. The Royals are not a very strong team. They're a, they're a decent team, but they're not good enough that you should be okay with giving up 14 runs to them. Because frankly, if the Rockies can hold the Dodgers to less than 14 at Coors Field, which is notorious for being such a hitter's park, you should be able to hold the Royals under 14. So they had a really bad look to start the season, but are actually now 3-4. and four. They're semi-decent. Uh, that being the Texas Rangers, but Oakland is two and seven to start the season. They did have to play the Dodgers. They did have to play the Dodgers. Although I will say you don't get any excuses because I put the Astros and the A's right next to each other, and I actually flip flopped at the last minute. I was going to publish it with the A's above the Astros in my very first one, and then I decided to put the Astros above the A's after some kind of reviewing it a little bit. And then the Astros swept them in four games. Then the Dodgers took two out of three from them. And again, the A's only won one game in extra innings. And then the Astros beat them again. So the Astros heading into today were 5-0 and against the A's to start the season, which is... <laughs> now, I talk about consistency. Now, 5-0 and is a little bit of a... When, when these teams are supposed to be even, but the Astros are maybe supposed to be better than the A's, that might be something that you can see long-term carrying itself out. Uh, although the A's finally did beat the Astros today... Uh, six to two. So they might be on the right track, but I think the real surprise of this division is that the Angels are tied with the Astros, yes, and I think surprise. especially it's surprising because their schedule to start the season has not been kind at all. They have played the White Sox, the Astros, and the Blue Jays, who all three of those teams I actually had in at least the top. I would say, if all going off the top of my head, I would say top eleven. I think the Astros at eleventh. Um, the White Sox easily in the top six. Uh, I was frankly surprised that they took two out of three against the White Sox, although one game was literally basically just Shohei, the Shohei show. Um, <laughs> he pitched over 108 different times and then also hit a 450-foot home run, and they won 5-3, to three, and overall I'd say without him, I think they lose the game. I think it's just... It, it's, really, it's really showing that maybe he can be an MVP uh, contender because when you pitch and hit... This is not basketball where everybody plays offense and defense. So when you do both, you're going to be overvalued probably. And look, his hitting, frankly, is really good so far this season. Uh, he's I think there was even a point where he was leading the league in stolen bases earlier this week. So <laughs> he's doing everything that he possibly can for the Angels. And again, they took two out of three against the, or three out of four, sorry, against the White Sox. And they split a two-game series with the Astros. And so far, they've beat the Blue Jays twice. So, and, and again, as you said, these are all playoff teams. So this is a very surprising start. Now, again, the, the Astros, we said they played the A's, who are another playoff team. But also in between, they, they played the Angels. So, I mean, you can say their schedules are pretty even, but I would say the Angels' schedule is harder because of playing so many different teams. Uh, and, uh, frankly, I'm just very surprised. It's a very great start to the season of the Angels. They will be climbing up a lot in my power rankings. Did the Angels have that also that crazy game where they basically threw the ball away all over the infield? The yes, pitchers they did. that cost them their relief pitcher. Yes, they cost did. Cost them a game. Yes, it did. So they could even be seven and one. I mean, that was. Yeah. We don't want to get too micro here, but when they, you look at it, they. They're, well, they're no, leaving. but remember, it actually didn't cost them the game. It only tied the game. Then they hit a walk off through uh, run home run did. in the okay. bottom of the ninth. Fantastic. All right. I, 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 that's what I wasn't sure of. I just remember shaking our head and seeing how angry Joe Madden was. They did almost throw away a game, though. You were right. All right. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's move away from the Angels to the American League Central. Uh, this division is a very interesting one. Uh, I didn't expect to see all five teams with three wins, seven games in the season, or at least eight in the 
in the case of uh, Chicago. I didn't expect to see Detroit um, and Kansas City combined for three wins in the first round of the season. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, the Twins, I would say, are the e- are, are the favorites, I guess, but I ranked the White Sox above the Twins. Uh, as we said, the White Sox lost three out of four to the Angels, so they definitely played a harder schedule, but then they came back and they won two out of three against the Mariners and another one against the Royals. So it looks like they're going to head back into form, and with their schedule, they're going to make that a lot better. Meanwhile, the Twins took two out of three against the Brewers, which is probably a more impressive result, and have won four in the row against, or, or sorry, three out of four against the bottom feeders of of uh, of kind of the bottom feeders of the AL, that being uh, two against the Tigers and then one against the Mariners. So the Twins have definitely had the easier schedule to start the season when you look at how well the Angels are playing. Uh, so Chicago, one and a half games back. Again, I ranked them ahead, but same thing with the Astros and the A's. You really don't know who can come out on top at the end of this. Cleveland has been shaky because they've only played the Tigers and the Royals, and they're still only 3-3, three and three, which isn't a good result at all. Uh, I say Kansas City and Detroit are pretty much on their level at this point, which is not where Cleveland was uh, a few years ago, i.e. when they almost won the World Series and choked it away. Uh, so th- this is not where they want to be as a franchise, although when you do trade away your franchise players, this tends to happen. Uh, it's probably not very smart to do that if you're trying to win games, and clearly maybe they're not. Um, so that's a little bit surprising. Uh, the Royals played the Rangers, so I wouldn't put too much stock into them winning a few games <laughs> against the Rangers because, again, as I said, the Rangers, I was surprised that they had three wins. They, if every three-win team plays each other, they're probably going to get three wins. <laughs> but the Tigers have had a very surprising start to the season, too. Uh, Akil Badu has been a uh, a revelation for the Tigers, a very low-round pick from a long time ago. and Or not a long time ago, but a long time ago in baseball speak. Um, he hit he hit a home run in his first career at bat on his first career pitch. Then he had a walk off home. Then he had a walk off single, and then he also had a grand slam in the game that they lost. Uh, and he also threw somebody out at home. So overall, they look like they have a few pieces that could get them to maybe not the lo- not the last place team in the league. But I, I don't think this is. I don't think the only. I think only the Twins and the White Sox will contend for the playoffs out of this division still. All right, and let's wrap it up with a look at the AL East. Yeah, this is the weirdest division. Uh, if you flip this division on its head and flipped all the records backwards, I would believe it was a real standings, but I don't even believe that the standings are real currently. Uh, Baltimore is tied with Boston on top at 4-3. and three. Uh, Tampa Bay is in third at 3-4. and four. The Yankees are 3-4 and four in fourth, and Toronto is last at 3-5. and five. Uh, Again, I would flip that on its head and switch Yankees and Toronto, and then I would say, yeah, that looks right. Uh, Baltimore and Boston is a very interesting kind of dance that they're doing. Uh, the Orioles swept the Red Sox at Fenway in three games. And everybody uh, declared the Red Sox season was over. And everybody thought the Red Sox were awful. Then the Red Sox somehow swept the Rays in three games. And then they won another game against the Orioles uh, yesterday. So now Boston went from being swept and scoring, I think, three runs overall in their in their series. And I think it said their worst home opening day start yes. in ever, maybe. Yes. Um, because they went 0-3, which is very, very rare. To all of a sudden... Now they are in first place, tied with the Orioles. Although, uh, a common mark of how you can judge how good a team really is is by looking at their run differential. And if you actually look at it, 
Boston is plus eight, which is the best in this division. Um, the Yankees are plus five, and frankly, when you're three and four and plus five in run differential, that's pretty good because you've lost a majority of your games and you're still positive in run differential, as opposed to the Tampa Bay Rays, who are minus 14 with the same record. Uh, the Rays have had a really slow start after being in the championship and uh, almost winning a World Series. Well, I wouldn't say almost winning a World Series, but if you make it, you technically almost won it. Uh, but the the weird dance of Boston and Baltimore kind of giving each other wins is interesting. And again, the Yankees are going to play those two teams eventually, and they're going to start getting wins off of them. Oh, wait, actually, the Yankees played the Orioles, and the Orioles took one of those games. So we know how it's going to end up. The Yankees and the Rays and the Twi- and the Blue Jays will probably flip this on its head, although I could see the Red Sox ending up ahead of the Blue Jays. But overall, very tightly contested division, probably one of the most interesting to watch in the league. All right, well, this is just the first week of a very long season. Um, I know we're all happy to see baseball back and happy to see fans in the stands. So uh, that'll wrap up our first weekly look at the MLB. We'll be doing this every week. Format may change, but we, we'll, we'll see what works. We like this division by division. Look at the league, a good way to parse down a, a lot of action in, in baseball every week that's going to occur over the course of the, the season uh, all the way through September into October and uh, depending on how long the playoffs last, late November. So... Um, That will wrap up our look at the MLB. Now let's take one last look at uh, men's NCAA basketball. You may recall from a few weeks ago, uh, before the NCAA tournament, that Patrick decided to try various methods for picking NCAA tournament games and tournament brackets. Uh, And Patrick and I predicted what methodology we thought would be best and worst. Um, Patrick thought his objective picks would be best, followed by subjective picks using Ken Palm, then using chalk, then the coaches' polls and the AP polls, then uh, just picking a bunch of upsets, and then a random number generator. Um, I agreed with Patrick that uh, at the bottom there that the a random number generator would be second uh, would be the worst, and upset picks would be the second worst. I thought objective picks would also be best, but I, I thought Ken Palm would come in second place, followed by chalk, and then using a little bit of subject, subjectivity, and then the two polls with uh, me thinking the writers might little know a little more than the coaches. Um, but then as, as we got closer to the tournament, Patrick decided to add uh, some additional experiments while making other brackets. To L- just check game. maybe what, what the tournament might want to use in the future to actually evaluate which teams are the best or not. And really parsing the more analytical pieces a little more. So putting some more analytical methodologies in there using the BPI. Um, Ken Palm was in there originally, but he also decided to look at if you just did pure Ken Palm offense or Ken Palm defensive efficiency and then the net rankings. So, Patrick, let us know after this grand experiment. Uh, in the end, how did it all turn out? Well, I mean, l- let me let me talk about a few of the bottom ones. So, I will first go by saying all of the top seven had Gonzaga winning. Uh, I, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, well, never mind. I should probably take back my rankings and change them a little bit because the ones with Gonzaga winning will probably do the best because the championship game is worth 320 points. Uh Again, it actually did not end up that any of those got the championship right. None of the metrics had Baylor, actually. Um, However, let's go to the bottom for a little bit. Uh, Ken Palm defensive efficiency had Loyola Chicago winning it all. That was destined to fail. 
from Still the beginning. It's a crazy, though. You'd think it would do better than the worst. Uh, it got 400 points. It did worse than the random number generator. The because again, in the ESPN Tournament Challenge. Yes. Points um, which and was also the 11th percentile in the country. Uh, I'm very surprised that there are 10.9% of people in the bracket pickers that actually did worse than this. Because <laughs> I felt like this is literally almost me trying to be bad. Uh, there were two Final Four teams that were out in the first round. This bracket had Utah State in the championship game. Oh, my goodness. Because they were the second best defensive team. They were the best defensive team in that bracket. Uh, by the way, the funniest thing is Ken Palm changes uh, game by game, including through the tournament. Utah State, by the end of the tournament, was actually the fourth best defensive team in their region. So if I went a day later, but obviously you can't pick the bracket after it started, right. they would have been lower than half the bracket. Uh the random number generator had Alabama, so it wasn't the worst possible outcome. Uh, the worst outcome was the upsets bracket. It had VCU winning the championship. If anybody knows what happened, VCU was the only no contest in the NCAA <laughs> tournament the entire year. Maybe even of all time, although I'm not sure there might have been some other reasons to cancel a game, but COVID was the reason why they canceled, and somehow... Because of the fact that my upset bracket, the way it worked is uh, I just picked the higher-seeded team in half the games of each round. Uh, I made it as chalk as possible for the rest of it. And since it had Baylor in the championship game, it actually ended up with 700 points and in the 49.3rd percentile, even with the champion not even playing a single game. And if you look at the actual website, wow. it would say they lost one to nothing to Oregon. That's funny. Uh, so... That's a whole other thing. But now let's get into how they actually did. The first place one was the BPI. Thank God I added it because otherwise it would have been some really bad results. I mean, I don't think it would have been fair to exclude it. I, I realized after the fact they used to use BPI as the main method. Then they invented the net for themselves. And now they also use uh, Ken Palm in concert with the net. This is the selection committee to evaluate teams. Uh, so I figured got to add them in. BPI did a very good job, and I think the one thing that really set it apart from the rest, uh, if you look at the way that the scoring works for the ESPN Tournament Challenge, uh, getting a Final Four game correct is 160 points. The one thing that this bracket had that was different than all the other ones is that it had Baylor over Illinois. Without those 160 points, it ends up, obviously, 160 points lower, and at 930, it would have came in fourth place instead of in first. Uh, second, and by the way, that ended up in the 92nd percentile uh, with Gonzaga winning it all. Uh, the second place was the Ken Palm Offensive Efficiency, another one that I added on later. Another bracket that had kind of some insane stuff going on. Uh, frankly, I don't know how a bracket that had LSU in the Final Four <laughs> ended up at a, the 89.3 percentile. But again, late round points matter. It had Gonzaga. I think I'm... I'm like ninety percent sure it had Baylor instead of uh, instead of any other teams in that bracket because Houston is not typically regarded as a high offensive I'm team. Sure, it Baylor. didn't have UCLA. It did not have UCLA. Not even close. Um, so it, but it did put Michigan there. So it actually was only one game off of that, which means that it did better than. Or no, sorry, it put LSU there. As I said. Um, so again. It was, it was close. It was good enough. That region was the only region that actually gave it any trouble, frankly, because it actually did have, I think it had USC ahead of a few teams, too. Uh, not beating Iowa, but at least beating Kansas. 
then the chalk bracket got a thousand points, which I was actually surprised it did so well. Although pure chalk, there were many. Yeah, every higher seeded team in every single game. Um, although there were a bunch of coaches that said before the tournament that this might be the chalkiest tournament of all time. Well, chalkiest except for the monumental upsets. There were a few crazy upsets, but then at the same time, you had two one seeds in the final four and the overall number one and number two seeds, which the actually meant that that this this bracket had the championship game correct and just, just didn't have, have the winner. The winner. Uh, so it ended up in the 87-point second percentile. The net got 980 points, a few percentiles under Ken Palm got 890, so we were overrating a little bit. Uh, however, I there was actually a tie in the War of the Poles. Uh, the coaches and the AP poll tied exactly on the dot 850 points in the 73rd percentile. They probably that didn't have is, much differences. That though. is to be expected. However, there were a lot of differences in the 8-9 seed games. Hmm. Um, so I think they actually ended up that both of them got two wrong, I think is how that shook out. And then... All of them got the, the upset picks later in the tournament completely wrong for, well, very obvious reasons. Um, so that ended up meaning that there were some different picks, but they did end up with the same amount of points. Uh, then my objective picks came in at 750 points, the 58th percentile. That one had Illinois, so that really ruined it. As soon as Illinois lost, I said, oh, this bracket's probably not going to end up pretty well. Um, the upset bracket had 700 points with 49.3% uh, per percentile. Again, only reason why is because Baylor, the saving grace, made it all the way to the final, to the championship game, which netted a lot of points. I bet Baylor, on their own, probably scored half the points for this bracket. Uh, and then there's my subjective picks. Now, I say it, I've said it before, I say it to everybody whenever they ask me, what happened to your bracket this year? It's so bad. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if Michigan is ever a seven seed or better, I pick them to win the title. And I will never and I'm a man of my word. And no matter how good another team is, I will still always pick Michigan. So, uh, that got nowhere near the championship right, although it did get a team in the Elite Eight, which was frankly better than the rest of it. The only problem with that is my subjective picks held the Big Ten in a very high esteem. Uh, and it had a revenge game where Michigan beat Ohio State for retribution in the championship game, which obviously got busted in literally the first round. It also had Illinois in the final four, which got busted in yeah. the second round. Putting uh, the Big the Ten only other team that it had was Gonzaga. And yes, the Big Ten bracket would be awful this year yeah. uh, when you looked at what happened with the Big Ten in the tournament. The next one was the random number generator, which finished 1.1 uh, percentile behind that with uh, 530 points. And then last was Ken Palm in defensive efficiency, so... Sorry to the old adage of offense wins games, defense wins championships, because Baylor was lower rated on offense and on defense than Gonzaga, but in the end, does or actually, Baylor was higher rated in offense, but not coming into the tournament. Um, but in the end, doesn't matter. The defense did not win the championship. Uh, Gonzaga's defense, which was rated better, was not actually playing better than Baylor by the time of the tournament, and we did say... That COVID pause took Baylor. I think they were ranked. I think they were ranked eighth and eighth the first time we brought up the stat, and they were ranked higher than Gonzaga on defense. And then after the COVID pause, it went all the way down to forty-five, and they brought it up through this run almost to the top twenty, jumping twenty-five teams in the process. They definitely were clicking on defense. It's just that a few games kind of brought that average down. And and look, Baylor deserved the championship. I think we all agree on that. They were a great team, and uh, yeah, so that's how the bracket well, we'll, experiment turned out. We'll see what happens to it next yeah, year. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll file this away, and we got to remember to pull this out next year and remember 
Uh, don't pick your brackets based upon random number generators. No. And don't pick them based upon Ken Palm defensive. And don't be, and don't pick them on teams that get out in the first round because of COVID no contests. Although yeah, I don't know true. if you can really predict that. All right. Well, the interesting and fun little experiment. Like I said, we'll put that in the filing cabinet, drag it out next year again, use it to inform our bracket picks next year. Uh, let's move on to our last topic, and that topic is a brief discussion about uh, some content on the website. Patrick's making some adjustments to that content, and we wanted to update you on those changes. So, Patrick, why don't you briefly go over? The first thing is uh, we said on the podcast that it would be that my NBA power rankings would be up last Tuesday. That actually wasn't the plan. I kind of made a mistake there, kind of lost track of the date. They are supposed to come out April 13th, as in Tuesday, I, I, Tuesday in four days, you know, next Tuesday, whatever you want to call it, uh, Tuesday. Uh, 100% they will be out then. The MLB weekend predictions, uh, we, we talked about this offline a bunch of times leading up to the season. Uh, I, it's very hard to predict individual baseball games, and I don't really think there's much skill to it. I think it's basically just getting lucky because the uh, pitcher, yes, you can say the pitcher is a Cy Young level pitcher, but some days he's going to give up five runs. Somebody's some days, big pit, big batter is going to get a day off. Exactly. You never, you never know the lineup. Somebody's injured, whatever. Blah 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 blah. So we're we're still experimenting what to do with the MLB in terms of my weekend predictions. Uh, this weekend is not going to count, and it's not because of how I did. I actually, frankly, didn't even look. Um, but uh, not sure if it will continue at all. We'll have to see. Uh, I might make it more more stats based, maybe uh, based on starting pitchers, based on hits. Um, I think next week my plan is to experiment with the entire series because uh, mostly the way that baseball schedules work is that there's a week we uh, a series during the week, and then there's also a three game series on the or three yeah three game series on the weekend that is played on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and with with the same teams playing each other for those three games. So as long as I can get three games going there, I think I can easily say this team is going to win two out of the three. Uh, for baseball, it just makes a lot more sense to pick it that way rather than picking uh, game by game. It's a little odd. Again, I you probably could have noticed that I, in basketball, will stay away from two second nights of back-to-backs when I don't know the result of the first one because, frankly, it's going to go one and one. I just don't know who's going to win. So, yes, in the future, I will be experimenting with that, probably picking the next picking the entire series. We'll see what happens with it next week. If that seems to work and it seems like I have a chance, a better chance of doing well with that, then it'll probably stay. So Major League Baseball predictions, uh, that, that content is a, is a work in progress. And, and we'll, we'll sort that out in the coming weeks yeah. as, as we get closer into the season. Um, all right, well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, April 12th, where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, excluding MLB action. Uh, In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings, which is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24, dot com. Thank you for listening.